the simplest commercial baking resource. Brought to you by Bakerpedia and hosted by Mark Florka. With 45 years of industry experience, Mark knows the ins and outs of baking. He is Bakerpedia's community forum manager and baking instructor. He's here to share knowledge and help you grow connections. You're listening to the Baked In Science Podcast. Hello, bakers. I'm your host, Mark Flerka. Welcome to the Baked In Science Podcast. For this episode, I would like to take a few minutes to introduce myself to you and give you a feel for what we are up to with the Baked In Science Podcast. My background starts with being classically trained as a pastry chef in an apprenticeship as a conditor in Germany. So far, I've been in the baking industry for 45 years, initially in various sizes of bakeries and pastry production, as well as restaurants, hotels, resorts, and other food service operations. I've had the opportunity to make products for royalty, celebrities, pop stars, and CEOs, and I've always prepared all product for everyone with the same care and quality. Most recently, I've retired from a 25-year career with one of the world's largest ingredient processors, where I started as a technical services representative and worked my way up to senior bakery application scientist. Dr. Lin and I have shared a variety of common industry interests and ideas, chiefly of which is the sharing and access to knowledge. We have the Baker Forum off to a great start, and now Dr. Lin has asked me to contribute to the Baked and Science podcast as your new host while we continue to grow the platform. Our goal is always to provide you with free information that is interesting, fun, insightful, and useful for your everyday practical applications. Here are some clips of past Q&A conversations to help give you an introduction of the conversations to come. We have several interesting subjects in the works already and looking forward to your feedback and commentary. So Alex says he uses flour with a falling number of around the 300 mark, but they don't have any issues with volume and structure. What are the critical points when looking at a COA? Oh, so many. Mark, you want to go first? Um, well, with the with a high falling number like that, what might show up on the COA is the extensibility. Um, so you want to look at is is it giving you too much give? Is it is it got too much flow to it? Right. Um, And uh, so it depends a lot on, you I mean, not all millers put everything on the C of A. It depends what you have in, uh, on your typical C of A too, right? Um, but uh, Farino graph um, might give you some of that you know, information um, because it's, it's helping you understand the mixing tolerance. So it'll probably drop off a lot earlier than you might want. That might be the, the biggest concern, I think. Right. I also like to add that I would love to see um, people reaching out to me with new innovations on this portion of the dough process 
because I think we have not perfected it yet, right? No, so there's a lot of science that it's. Like, yeah, we haven't <laughs> perfected this pro pro process yet, and we haven't perfected the folding of the process of of the doughs yet. So a lot, a lot in, of equipment innovation still has to be done, you know, for for the artisan bakers. I I just want to put it out there. So and that's 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 part of again as as you've commented, you know, part of the fun in the conversation at the forum. I mean, let's let's talk about these things and 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 find you know more input from ideas from other people and and you know like you know Thomas and and others and, and as well. I mean, uh, it's all that sort of what to me I call it fun. It's it's that discovery um, and. Uh, real quick short story. I always remember when I, I did some serial chemistry 101 with Dr. Hosni. And uh, I remember he, he uh, was asking us about the, the effects of fermentation on gluten proteins. And, uh, and so, you know, I mean, I really kept my mouth shut. I was like the, the little guy and with all these people from Kellogg's and stuff like that. And, and everybody's putting up their hand and saying all these things. And, and he said, well, you're, you're all wrong. You're all wrong. We don't know. Nobody knows. <laughs> we're still, it's still part of the science that we're trying to fully understand, right? Now, we've, we've learned to understand more since then. That was over 20 years ago. But still, I mean, that's, that's an example of what, you know, uh, in science, we're always trying to discover more about these things. And, uh, we, and, and asking the questions helps us find more answers. Right. Okay. I want to go on into the next comment on the chat window. Um, what sort of flour is ideal for laminated doughs? And, and I think um, Thomas can chime in as, as well. Uh, what kind of flour is ideal for laminated doughs? And if we were to increase extensibility, uh, we have an automated croissant line and consistent weights poses our biggest challenge. Oh, I see a few things. All right. Anything to add, gentlemen? You, you guys go first. Um. I'll let Thomas take this one first. <laughs> um, well, the flour, the most important thing is don't go to high in gluten. It's, uh, you need that uh, um, a strong baker's flour will, will be way too tough. Um, also, the, the additional uh, ascorbic acid uh, will make it very tough to actually um, have some extensibility in there. Um, I always look at, at uh, more like an all-purpose flour, uh, or, or even a mix of, uh, of two or three um, medium, uh, medium gluten flours. Um, second of all, temperature is everything with croissant lines and croissant doughs. Um, the moment you add a fat to your dough, so not, not the laminating fat, but, uh, but the dough into your fat, um, that will all also have, have a big impact on the gluten network. Mm -hmm. And uh, um, so there's a lot of, lot of factors when it comes to industrial uh, croissant processing that have to be met and, uh, and um, uh, increasing extensibility, for instance, is, is very possible with, uh, uh, with lower gluten. But then again, how are you rolling out? How fast are you rolling out? Are you yeah. resting enough? Um, all those things factor in. So for, for just a, I'll just take first the flour question. Don't go too high in gluten. I think uh, uh, between uh, between uh, 
9 uh, 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 and 12% is your sweet spot. Um, and then whatever mix of flowers you have available with your suppliers uh, uh, would work. Uh, and watch out for ascorbic acid. Mm-hmm. Right. I, agree. I think you want to take, take a look at your ascorbic acid and put it back. Yeah. But I, I, I'm in total agreement with Thomas because um, whenever there is a, a laminated dough question, I've always seen a commonality of temperature. Like you, the temperatures are, are what's causing the yeast to react. And also, if you, if, you, if you can't spit it out at a lower temperature and your temperature is higher at your final mix, then your, 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 your yeast is just going to ferment and give you inconsistent weights. So in order to prevent that, either you lower your temperature or lower your batch size so that the front of the dough is not going to be different from the end of the dough. Like you need to process a dough, what, say, between how many minutes, Mark? What do you think? Uh, well, on most spiral mixers is probably going to be six to eight, something like that. Yeah, you need to you need to process that dough be, beneath eight minutes. Like if you process if you if you're spinning out doughs that require fifteen minutes of uh, process, it's sitting in the in in the bulk bowl for fifteen minutes before you know the front and the end of the dough. That's where you're going to see the inconsistency. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's that's my input. What's yours, and- Mark? Well, oh, and, and one one more quick thing is is that uh, a lot of bakeries uh, mix too uh, not long enough in in the slow speed. Um, I think definitely for for uh, if you're looking at the dough temperature, uh, one good thing to keep the dough temperature down is mix a little bit longer at first speed. Make sure everything is hydrated and well developed before you hit that second speed where actually energy and heat is added. Yes, and. Uh, very good. Um, That's a great just, point. Yeah, very important. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and and with those, you know, when you're doing your your dough temperature calculations, to not skip any of the factors. So um, one place I've seen in croissant production is they they used a, a portion of their um, their flour. They used unbleached pastry flour, a soft wheat flour. So it was only around maybe between eight and nine percent protein, something like that. Um, to help lean things out a little bit. But they also forgot to keep in mind that when they did a pre-ferment with that, they would do that well with uh, water and the yeast and, and the sugar from the dough and let that ferment for half an hour, 40 minutes before they would start the mixing. Well, fermentation generates heat as well. So as to, to Thomas's point, you have to look at all of the energy inputs so that then you may need to drop your water temperature even further and make sure that you mix on slow speed because with a croissant dough, a cold dough is ideal. I mean, like something in the, in the high sixties is, is basically what you're looking for. And, um, and a lot of uh, processors actually even refrigerate the dough and allow an overnight or a long, slow fermentation to allow the pentosans and the um, proteases to give you more extensibility in the dough as well. Um, so, you know, a homemade classic croissant dough is always fermented overnight first before the laminating starts. Um, so you, but either way, you want to have a cool dough, gives you a better lamination and the processing so that you don't start fermenting too soon in the process. What's been happening at the forums? Um, we've had a little bit of activity, some interesting questions. Um, the one discussion that started up that I 
I found was was interesting to highlight to today um, is we have information on Bakerpedia under um, analytical uh, processes and things like that as to how to uh, test for how to go through the process of uh, determining total tritatable acidity. Um, but sometimes this is not fully understood by bakers who may not have had an academic education. And so there was a question um, and fellow was trying to, uh, as he put it, he was trying to calculate the percent of TTA. Um, but there is no percent of TTA. Uh, TTA is expressed in mil um, and it's a concentration of yeah, how much tritable acid you have. Right. Um, and so kind of walk through that uh, in the conversation a bit. And, and of course, I asked also if anybody has any other uh, comments to make. Uh, hopefully we'll hear from them as, as from a viewpoint. And I, I posted the link to a video on YouTube that shows step-by-step um, step the, the method of doing it in a lab um, by diluting your product in, wa in uh, distilled water or reverse osmosis water and, uh, you know, neutralizing it and then adding the uh, uh, sodium hydroxide to it until you hit a pH of 8.4. And then there you have the number of mils that you've used and you know what your titratable acidity is, right? Right. Um, right. So it's, uh, um, it's not something that, a lot of bakers necessarily learn unless they get into some of the analytical processes or like I said, like a, a university and academic education and food science or things like that. So um, I think it's a good conversation in that respect. Right? So Mark, don't you think that just answering that is really inadequate in, in, in trying to put a QC program together? I mean, What's the yes. purpose of TTA? Yes, the, what the, the purpose of TTA. Uh, well, the, the purpose of TTA is to determine the concentration of acid in comparison versus the amount of acidity that you have. In other words, the pH. So in sourdough production, this is very important. Um, it'll help you determine in terms of maintaining quality control over the, the sour flavor profile that you're looking for so that it's not just a matter of hitting pH, but also the concentration and how that affects your dough processing and, and everything else as well. It's something you can do with a very small amount of um, sourdough uh, in determining where it is before you, you continue fermentation, then you can always buffer it with um, more flour and water, or you can, you know, add more if you, the acidity concentration is too low. Um, so to, to get the right target. Um, in other areas, it might be part of your uh, shelf life. If you're trying to hit a certain amount of acid concentration to prevent microbial growth. Um, so it's, it could be part of the QA process there. Um, right. And I, I wanted to point it out, too, because we use that to uh, st to get data from the crumb grain after it's baked so that we know that the CalPro is effective. Yes. I mean, yeah, we, we try to target, um, you know, a particular TTA and pH below 5.5. Yeah. And we see a lot of issues with that when um when we have mold problems that's when mm -hmm. it's it's a big deal so yeah and uh, I, I did some technical support in um 
in Puerto Rico in a, in a plant where they produced uh, cupcakes and muffins. And um, they were using calpro, sodium diacetate, and another acid of some type to try and drop their, their pH. And um, again, for, to prevent mold growth because of the humidity in the area, right? So they, they didn't have the ability to do modified atmosphere packaging. So they're they addressing it from an acidity aspect. And so there again, same thing as we tested the crumb after bake um, because we could see uh, and it was easy to test the batter before bake, but also keep in mind the, uh, your baking soda level has to be enough there to give you gas and power to rise but also mm -hmm. that it doesn't neutralize all your acid, right? So um, you wanna have enough of that acidity left to be part of your, uh, your basis for uh, preventing the mold growth in that sense. So, and uh, it worked out pretty good that way. Um, That's correct. It's, yeah. a, it's a very valuable tool. And yeah, it's, it's worth learning how to do it properly too. I mean, we have great information on the website but also look for courses through AIB or, or other organizations where um, there are, you know, short courses often that you can take that are half a day or less. And you will learn a lot of these analytical processes and things like that, because the uh, some of them are done through instrumentation these days. And then people lose the ability to understand what is actually happening and from the wet chemistry aspect um, mm -hmm. and so mm -hmm. it's, it's important things to know do you remember the ones that uh that uh talked about you know why is my dough sticky yeah one was was asking why is my dough sticky and they couldn't use any uh dough improvers and things like that well that goes back to again getting information from the alveograph from the mixolab in terms of understanding um, whether it's a um, falling number issue you know in terms of fermentation or whether it's a uh, protein damage. quality issue in terms of yeah. how much mixing it can tolerate right um yeah and arnold had a good point on starch damage as well starch damage oh. as well exactly yeah um, right. Uh, yeah, it was, it was a lot of interesting questions. Um, I never thought of RVA, but um, uh, it's, you know, that's used just for the starch. But uh, we, we had that one come up, too. So sounded like maybe a lab is trying to do, use RVA as a, a shortcut alternative or something like that. Um, yeah. But um, remember, the RVA is included in the Mixolab. Yes, it's exactly. It's like a yeah. on the Mixolab. Yeah. You know, you so the mixer yeah. yeah, the mixer that can actually combine your mixograph or enograph with your RVA so that you get two tests at yep. once. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's a great question too. Thanks very much for listening, everyone. I hope you enjoyed our first podcast together and hope I keep you coming back for more. Don't forget to join us in the Baker Forum on Bakerpedia.com for discussions, questions, answers, and innovations. Happy baking!